The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. We're going to talk some USC football with the coach, Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde, or go to his website, harveyhyde.com. He's been talking about the team, analyzing the Trojan football team for many, many years. We'd love to have him on the show, and we're going to do so again today. Happy, uh, I guess it's Star Wars Day, May the 4th, uh, everyone. So if you're a big Star Wars fan, which I am, um, I don't know, maybe go out and watch one of the old movies. I do have that my Disney Plus. I haven't watched much of that yet, so maybe I'll check out some of those movies today. If you have any questions or comments, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, and send the email. Let us know which show you'd like the question to be on. So if it's for the coach, Harvey Hyde, just say, hey, question for coach. We'll put it in our little Google Doc and answer those questions when we come around and do the next show. If you have any questions you'd like to email, I mean, uh, text us, you can do that too. 424-254-9141 is the number, and you can even leave us a voicemail there. We got several voicemails. It's going to be a voicemail-centric show today, and even though I'm, I feel like I'm maybe rewarding, uh, I don't want to say bad behavior, but, you know, we. okay, I'm going to talk right out the top. This is a Curtis from Marino Valley show. I got about 10 voicemails in a row from our resident optimist, Curtis from Reno Valley. Sent him a little message like, hey, maybe you'd send a couple a week instead of 10. But he brought up some really interesting topics. So I think I picked like five of them out and we're going to play them on the show today. Mostly because we didn't have a whole lot of other questions. So Curtis kind of goes to the front of the line. But we encourage you to call that voicemail number, 424-254-9141. Leave a voicemail. Let us know what you think. Uh, but today we're going to be dominated by Curtis and there were but some really good topics, some things that he said that I don't agree with. And I, we'll see if coach agrees with, and we'll dispute those and talk about all that. But we appreciate uh, him calling in. We'd like all of you to call in or send us your emails. And we got some other emails too. We'll get to uh, later on the show. All right. Big intro there, but we got the coach Harvey Hyde on the line, ready to talk Georgia football as always. Welcome in coach. How are you? Hey, Ryan. Thank you very much. And thank you, Curtis. We, uh, Appreciate your questions. We'll try to answer as many as we can. And for all of you out there, as Ryan just said, we encourage you all. Remember, it's just our opinion that we give. You can agree or don't agree. We just have fun discuss- discussing them with you. We do have a lot of fun with that. And uh, we'll have a, we'll have some fun with Curtis today. We'll have fun with all of you. And sometimes, you know, when Curtis calls in, it sparks other people to call in because they have a different opinion. Um, so we'll, we'll do that. And, they, you know, he brings up 
Hopefully you got to check out our Vix Otto interview uh, I did with uh, Lunch with a Trojan uh, late last week. So he's the new defensive line coach. He was great. There was a question in there about him. Make sure you check that out. We're going to have this week, Coach, I got a special guest uh, on Thursday. So it's our Lunch with a Trojan. So we actually put it up in podcast form. You can listen to it if you're listening to this podcast feed. But it's also a video show we'll put up on Facebook. We put up on YouTube. And... This week, we're going to have USC's new chief of staff. So he's essentially the number two guy in the athletic department, Brandon Sosna. So he's going to come on the show uh, answering your questions about the future of USC athletics and all that kind of stuff. So, Coach, I'm excited to uh, have Brandon on. He's a young kid. He's like 27 years old. But, man, he just has been hitting the ground running. They've made some really good changes in the athletic department since he arrived. Well, Brian, I'll tell you what. You're getting connected, buddy. You're getting connected with the right people and uh, being able to share these uh, new uh, administrators to our listening audience is absolutely fantastic because a lot of the media now is being cut down in the newspapers. There are not many weekly or daily articles, so people really, uh, the football person has to come to the website to get all this insight of what's going on in the athletic department at USC. So uh, we want to encourage that, keep it going, keep getting the good interviews too, Ryan, and uh, we'll all enjoy it. Yeah, hopefully you guys will, so make sure to check that out. We'll uh, we're actually put a thread on the Peristyle, our message board on uscfootball.com uh, with asking for questions. So if you had a question, you can go over to the Peristyle and check it out. If you're not a member, sign up. Uh, you can sign up for a buck, so it's, uh, it's cheap. It's definitely worth it, especially right now. We're putting up a ton of content during this offseason, so hopefully you guys can all check it out. Okay. Let's jump right in because we got a lot of voicemails and they're just basically topics that we're going to discuss. I liked some of the topics he called in on, so we're going to play them and then discuss those topics. First one, Coach, uh, talk about recruiting. I'm going to play this one for you. Here you go. Curtis from Moreno Valley. I just checked Alabama's recruits for 2021 and they have three commits in the class of 2021 it makes me wonder maybe they've lost staff maybe the coronavirus is is affecting them like because kids can't travel something's going on here but what they've done with this coronavirus for usc has unleashed our recruiters with a whole lot of phone time they can call these kids all the time now Williams is still in Oregon trying to sell his house. He's calling kids all the time. All of them are calling kids all the time. They say Clay Helton is calling kids more than he's ever done before. This is fantastic. Curtis. Well, Curtis, let me tell you, I would say that's a good point. If I was Williams, I'd be in Oregon. I'd say, who'd want to come here? I can't even sell my house <laughs> when I'd be calling the kids. I'd say, do you know anybody wants to buy a house? I can't even sell my house up here. But uh, I'm just making a joke of that. Oregon's a wonderful state and so on. But, uh, you know, you got to have fun with that. But uh, Alabama, you don't have to worry about Alabama's program with uh, Saban and company. I mean, these early commits can change all the time. and People go back and forth, and Saban uh, maybe with a lot of coaching changes or uh, reorganizing. You see their name and all of the top players along with LSU and all the rest of them. So it's a little early, and it is a little bit different now as far as the circumstances are regarding recruiting. And 
you know, and USC is really on a roll. They're going after local players. They're hitting the state of Texas. There's a change of momentum. So you've got a lot of interest right now in the USC Trojan football program. So they are getting some commits. So uh, Alabama, you don't have to worry about Alabama, but you're going to see them uh, the first weekend uh, of football season, whenever that is. So uh, they'll be strong, as they always are. They always have great players. And Saban does such a great job of coaching. It'll be a battle. So uh, Saban will get his share. USC needs to get just their share of the type of players that you can play with Alabama in those schools. Yeah, I agree with you, Coach. And, uh, I mean, Curtis has been, you know, he's the optimist. He's focused on Alabama because that's the opener and, and his optimism about being able to beat Alabama and stuff. I Like Coach said, I wouldn't worry about Alabama if, uh, if you know, as far as recruiting, it's May. It's early May. Um, you know, it's, it just depends on how class is built. But uh, this is where the, I'll go for the last 10 recruiting classes for Alabama. Eight times in the last 10 recruiting classes, Alabama had the number one class. They were second once and fifth once. Like, that's it. So that's in the last 10 years. I do not feel like Alabama's going to have the number 55 ranked class like USC did last year. USC's up to number eight right now, which is great. Uh, I feel like they've built a lot of momentum. Seven uh, commitments in the past two months, which is you know really good. They've used the ties from Texas with the, the coaching staff to get a couple of you know highly ranked players. I think they're both in the twenty four seven, the top you know two hundred forty seven players in the country. Uh, last couple of guys that, that, that committed. So I mean, I think they've done a really good job. The issue, Curtis, I have is like, what could have been done? There's been a lot of talk about why is there this resurgence? I think you would argue USC should have never been down as far as recruiting goes. And people have asked me like, well, what is the the point of this? I know I think the LA Times did a story on what's going around. I mean, really hiring the right people and actually working, using this time, this downtime to not sit on your hands and actually go out and make calls and, and recruit and I think you could argue that this is something that should have been happening before. And it's a, that in my opinion, USC's had some really good recruiters, but there was guys that were like a T Martin that would have to shoulder the, the bulk of the burden of recruiting. Then when T Martin left, there wasn't really someone that, that was that dynamic that could kind of make up for the shortcomings of some of the other coaches on staff. I think now you have it, you have a dynamic recruiter like Dante Williams uh, like a Craig Niver, I think he can be that guy too. But the other guys that brought in also can hold their their own, and they can you know carry some of the weight too. So I, I feel like they just got away from the staff. wasn't much of a great recruiting staff the last couple of years, and that's why you saw the dip in the rankings. And I don't think you can allow that to happen, coach, in college football. Recruiting is such an integral part of college football. If you have the best X's and O's coaches in the world. If they're not good recruiters, I just think you'd rather see them in the NFL than in college because you have to bring in the players. And then there's all the other aspects of it is getting them in the right positions, developing them and all that. But if you don't get the good players in, especially in a place like USC, you're going to see what happened last year. You're right, Ryan. And um, just to be honest with uh, everyone out there, when you think you're going to be fired or you think there's going to be a change in the coaching staff, which was talked about all, all during that early period, your first call of the day, if you're an assistant coach, is not to recruit. It's calling other college coaches throughout the country, and you know what the what the word is? Hey, what's going on? Who's getting a job? Who's getting a head job here? Who's getting a head job there? Might be looking for a job. I mean, 
it's a whole different energy level of recruiting when you have a doubt as far as for yourself, when you're not, maybe not even employed. And, and then people asking you when you're recruiting them, are you going to be back? Is Coach Helton going to be the head football coach? So it becomes a negative side of recruiting, which affects the entire class and each individual coach. Like the whole defensive staff was wiped out. So every one of those guys had to find a job. So they're more involved, really. It's just a, a thing that people do. They're, they're worried about survival, their family, their kids. i got to find a job because it's an 80% chance I'm not going to be back. So it's a different enthusiasm into recruiting because you're really trying to survive for yourself, which actually happened. So there's a, a combination of things why recruiting wasn't good. The winning, the aspect of Coach Help maybe not coming back, the enthusiasm of the coaches, and on top of them not being dynamic recruiters to start. So you can go on and on and on about reasons why things happen. It's not just one thing. It's a combination of a lot of things. So I think that's why it affected USC, and I think it definitely has showed the difference now with this staff. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on to the uh, second question. So we talked about this a little bit last time, and I, I think I misspoke. Uh, we're talking about the name, image, and likeness. I think it was on this show, Coach. If not, it might have been with Dan Weber's, and I, my apologies. But um, this was supposed to – so the NCAA is looking at this. Um, it won't be until 2021. So I thought the Florida law goes into effect 2020, but apparently it's only – it's 2021. So they're starting the ball rolling here. Uh, I think we'll know a lot more uh, later this month, but um, – this would go into effect for 2021. So it's not happening that quickly where players could benefit uh, and get paid for their name, image, and likeness. But they're, the NCAA is really trying to – they don't want all the states having different rules and things. They're trying to get the federal government to put everything to place, like accept their version of name, image, and likeness, and then put that push that down to the states so the states won't be suing the NCAA and, and trying to change these you know things like that. So but this would be 2021, not 2020. I believe last week I misspoke. Uh, so my apologies for that, but here is uh, Curtis's question. Hey Ryan, it's Curtis. I'm glad this new rule started so the kids can get paid. What would stop a car dealership or any kind of LA company? For for paying a whole USC team, the uh, the band, the cheerleaders, to do a commercial for them with uniforms that are the same colors, helmets, everything, but no USC logos. You know it'll work. They're gonna do that at every school in every state in every city if they got any sense. All the kids will get paid. All the cheerleaders will get paid. All the band will get paid for commercials that they've probably been wanting to do for a long time, but they couldn't do because the school has restrictions. Now, just a little slight uniform change, and it's done. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Curtis, what do you do all day? How do you come up with these things, man? I'll tell you what. Uh... You're probably right. There will be somebody who might want the band in the commercial along with a couple of players or whatever. But remember, the players can't be identified either. I don't believe they can be identified. They have to be recognizable. And as you said, yes, school colors will uh, on a well-publicized band and a well-publicized player will work. Uh, I know everybody's been uh, wanting uh, the players to get paid and so on. And I think one reason they put it off for such a long period of time, I, 
like you mentioned, you know, there's got to be guidelines, and, and, and Ryan knows that. There's got to be guidelines within the NCAA. You know, you can't get one guy getting paid 250000 and somebody else in another state, but then it's a battle of who's going to pay the most. A uh, guy didn't even need to be on scholarship. Just pay him, and uh, I'll just go to school. I'll pay my own way to school. So, you know, there's got to be a lot of things that have to be ironed out with this. And I think it's uh, important to be, too. But you can't have uh, it all becoming a not an amateur uh, sport with pay. It's got to be still an amateur sport with incentives and other things that are assistance to them as far as getting by on the recognition of who they are, what they bring to the game, what they bring to the uniforms, what they bring to the university. And I, I hope... It gets to a point, I don't know if it's against the law even to put a ceiling on it. I don't know if you can put a ceiling on how much you can pay somebody. So there's so many different things that still have to be worked out. So I don't know what the answers are going to be. And uh, I know that it's going to, in a way, separate the team, but you're going to have the real stars that make the big money, and you're going to have a lot of players that don't make anything. Ryan, you even put out a thing on uh, USCfootball.com that put a value on what you thought players are worth. Uh, how do you know? I don't know if they're worth that, if they're not worth that. I know how much they pay for commercials and they pay a lot of money for stars to be on commercials. So I don't know what's going to happen with this. Uh, it will have to be a, a guideline on it and you probably have to turn it all into the NCAA and to the uh, conference, but I know that areas uh, with large populations and large boosters and larger schools with more money certainly do have an advantage, especially with areas of, of work and companies and so on, and some of the areas from smaller cities. So uh, I think it really got to be somehow controlled, and I think it should be. Yeah, there's, I mean, obviously this is really early, Curtis. I would think, uh, I, w- I would caution you if you feel like there's just money for everyone, that all the cheerleaders, like all the song girls and all the band would get paid, uh, that when you're talking about being part of the, uh, song girls, everyone knows the sweaters. I don't think you know the individual people. They're not going to pay. They could just pay regular people that look like song girls or something. I mean, it, there's if they're not wearing the USC sweaters, I don't think you're going to have the song girls appear in your commercial or the charge of a marching band if they don't have the helmets and all that stuff. Like It just doesn't seem like that would make much sense. There's not this unlimited amount of money that people are going to pay. Maybe you start paying out in the beginning because you want to help your school and you want to help out the band or the song girls or the athletes or whatever, but you're still running a business. So if you got a car dealer and you're putting something together, you need to be able to make money off that. So it probably is going to make sense to have, Hey, I want uh, Amon Ross St. Brown to endorse uh, my Volvo dealership and he gets some money for that. But are you going to have Hunter Eccles do that? Uh, you know, not as well known. Um, those are, you know, some of the names that if, you know, Chris Trevino did that story where they took, uh, you know, there's, they're basically based on social media influence. Like you get X amount of money per Instagram follower or Twitter follower, things like that. Um, so they had, uh, you know, I think Amon Ross St. Brown was the top of the list and his potential value was 60, almost $67,000. Uh, Elijah Griffin was second. Now his, you know, Having uh, you know Warren G being his son, like I think that you know adds to the following, and you know a guy like Keaton Slovis was further down the list, but if he has a, another huge year, he would probably uh, you know vault up to the top. 
And like Coach mentioned, there could be some divide in the locker room when Keaton Slovis makes money. Or say Elijah Griffin could make more money in endorsements and he wasn't even the starter. So say, but because he's got a famous dad and he's got all these followers on Instagram, he could get more money to post something on Instagram like a sweater he was wearing or whatever it is. I mean, a lot of it's going to be the social media aspect of it. And you, there's real value depending on how many followers you have. So with the the Kylie Jenners of the world that have millions and millions of followers, they tweet one thing and get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars or put it in an Instagram post. Um, it's to a lesser scale, but if you're a, you know, you get 250,000 followers and you're in college, you can get, uh, you know, you can make money. A guy like Zion Williamson, I think he had a million Instagram followers before he even got to Duke. Um, so there's some college athletes, I think, that will use the, the USC name or whatever brand they have coming in will help them kind of build their own and then they can make some money off it. But a guy like Zion Williamson was a phenom before that. And I think Duke enhanced it, but he was a phenom before he got in there. But those are, I think those are rare exceptions. He's a rare exception. Um, but you'd love to see like the top women's look, look, lacrosse player at USC who's really good. Maybe she makes like a trick shot video or maybe she does some instructional stuff and, uh, and, and has a seminar and gets paid because she's really good at lacrosse. She's like the star lacrosse player. Um, I think you're going to see some of that too. It's not going to just be football, but it might be tough, uh, for someone that's like a, you know, not top 10 player on the football team to really make money, but the top women's soccer player does, you know, because she's a top women's soccer player as opposed to like the 11th best, uh, football player. So we're, I mean, we don't know how this is going to come out, but if you think that there's just going to be money handed out to all the Trojan band members that can't even wear their uniform, I, I don't think that's going to be accurate. No, you're exactly right because uh, people now give donations to the band as far as for birthday parties and special events and so on. And, and, and I'll tell you, there aren't going to be a lot of players that get paid. There aren't or athletes, I should say. It isn't going to be a big thing. It isn't going to be because uh, uh, people don't know who they all are. They really don't. So uh, that's why they use a lot of stars, like you said, Ryan, people that are recognizable movie stars and other people uh, to do that. Uh, so I, I don't think it's going to be what everybody thinks it's going to be. I really don't. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's move on. Oh, this was so he had a little bit of an issue with a take we had on a previous show. Coach, I'll play this one for you. This is Curtis. I got a problem. You and the coach, Ryan, you and the coach said that Utah was developing all these people so much better than USC. That's why they had all these draft picks. In this draft, they had people that were draft eligible, a bunch of them. We only had five, and I forgot. And you guys didn't even mention that we beat them on the field. All those people that got drafted got dominated. How many of those DBs that got drafted got beat for bombs against a third-string quarterback? Think about it. A lot of those guys are going to be eligible next year for the draft, and they're going to go higher than the Utah people across the board. Curtis. Well, Curtis, I think you're right there. 
they did have a great game against Utah. They did beat the, the Utah DBs deep and so on. I really think they had a great game. Uh, but, uh, you know, the NFL is evaluating, and you're right, too, as far as the number of players that USC had in the draft. I have to agree with that, too. But uh, they had, did have some seniors, too, that didn't even get free agency. So, you know, it all balances out. Uh, uh, you know, I'm glad uh, they're all coming back rather than leaving, uh, coming out early and, and leaving, because it's important to have a nice nucleus of great players coming back. So we'll see how they develop and see if they can perform. And maybe USC will have one of those type of drafts next year. I certainly hope so, because they, they mean, that means they perform well. So, you know, it's hard to determine all the stuff. We just try to answer your questions, and I respect your feelings. Yeah, Curtis. So I would say this. Um, I don't know if you talk to a whole bunch of people in college sports, if anyone will say that USC has developed players better than Utah. Now, that's what Utah does. USC, the DNA of the USC football program, is to bring in better players. And I guess the argument could be, what has USC done with those better players? Um, you know, Have they developed them? There's, there's some guys that you saw, like were three-star guys that developed, uh, like a, a Chenna and Wusu. But that's pretty much the exception as opposed to the rule where a guy, a place like Utah, you're bringing in a lot of three-star guys, red shirting them, letting them develop. And then, you know, you, you're Bradley and I, and you're, you know, you're drafted who he wasn't drafted as high as I thought he would be, but you know, basically became a dominant player in college. Now I think Utah's issue this past year was when they played teams with superior talent, they, they got beat. They got beat by Texas. They got beat by USC. They got beat, uh, by Oregon, but I think that you could still, what they started with and what they ended up with, they develop players better than USC does. Now, maybe that's going to change with the new USC assistant coaches that are coming in, but I don't think you can argue it's not even been close and look at what, you know, some of it is just, what is USC done? Why did USC only have a handful of draft eligible players? Well, only two got drafted. One of them was a junior uh, and only one signed as a free agent. Um, you know, a guy like John Houston comes in as a five-star linebacker, doesn't even sign as an unrestricted free agent or undrafted free agent. Um, you got to look back at the recruiting class and what did you do with some of those high-ranked guys? Unfortunately, the class of 2016 was pretty much a disaster for the Trojans. And that, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, Michael Pittman was in that class. He gets drafted. Um, you know, the second pick in the or the third pick or whatever in the second round. So that's good. But who are some of his classmates? Well, uh, Aluwali Batiku, you know, he ends up transferring out. Jack Jones, he transfers out. Tyler Vaughn's is still there. I think he'll get someone that'll be drafted, which is good. EJ Price, the offensive line, he's out. Jamal Cook transferred out. Trayvon Sidney transferred out. Josh Mentor Baby transferred out. Frank Martin just really never developed. He's not played at all. Favai Malpea is still on the team. You know, he's been good. Kerry Angeline, a tight end, transferred out. Connor Murphy, I think you're, I'm expecting some things from him, but it's taken a while for him to develop. C.J. Pollard transferred out. Nathan Smith, offensive lineman, uh, medically retired. Keyshawn Pa Young transferred out. Matt Fink, he beat Utah last year, like you said, third-string quarterback, so he's still around, but you know, not necessarily. He's not a guy that's going to get drafted, most likely. Valus Jones transferred out. Jordan Isaf is contributing, obviously. Uh, Liam Jimmins contributing. And Josh Fatu was a, a transfer, so he was only there for a little bit, but he contributed. But so many dudes from this class transferred out. So why were there less people, you know, eligible um, people to be drafted for USC? 
Because all those dudes that were like four and five star guys all transferred out of the program. So who are you putting that on? Is that just bad luck? Is it problems with the the coaching staff? I, don't, I think it's probably a combination of everything. But you can't just say USC's hands were tied because they didn't have any uh, as many draft eligible players. They recruited a lot of those guys, and they're no no longer there. Ryan, I agree with you, man. I wasn't even aware. I'm just telling you, when you kept going, I couldn't believe it, that that many people came out of that class, my gosh, and transferred out or aren't playing anymore. Yeah. Wow, that's not a very good per- percentage, you know. The number one thing I used to say, you got to forecast, you got to find the right ones, you got to force uh, forecast them, you got to develop them. And when they become seniors, and in my days, we used to redshirt them when they became a fifth-year senior, and we had a man we had a man now, not a kid. We had a man, and uh, uh, and I agree. I mean, we couldn't let players go like that. My goodness, I could. I can't believe what you just said. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. that's a busload, man. That's a team blame. Yeah, and it's not just oh, two two God. players in this class. Uh, there was four last class with not any high ones, and you know, over the last two years. Why has a temple, a school like Temple, had more players drafted than USC? I think you can you can make up excuses, but if you're going to say that USC is great at developing players over that time period, I would disagree. Um, so yeah, that that's where we're at here. So Curtis, I get it, I get what you're saying, but um, USC did beat Utah last year, but this is specifically about player development. Um, you know, they had a bunch of guys go to the the combine, they got a bunch of guys get drafted, and I think. What with what Kyle Whittingham has to deal with there, he doesn't get the kind of players USC gets, but he's coached them up better, and he's he's getting more out of those players. I think if you switched rosters, and Kyle Whittingham had USC's players, and Clay Helton had Utah's players, I I don't think it, the game would be close. So uh, that's all part of it. USC won the game. Uh, we we get that. We understand that, Curtis. But uh, I'm just saying Utah's been better at developing players than USC has. Yeah, and also when you lose that many players, you obviously have made some mistakes as far as in your recruitment of players and evaluation of players because players aren't happy if they're not playing, so they're they're leaving. And that's not a real good thing to have in your program because people use that against you as far as in recruiting too. So that's not a positive thing, and uh, those type of things have got to be erased. They really do. Yeah. All right, uh, this is uh, an interesting uh, call. I'll play it, and we'll get your thoughts. Hey, Peristyle, this is Curtis from Moreno Valley. I just saw some Keaton Slovis highlights and saw Drake London catching the ball, and the announcer said that was a good choice because Drake London is 6'5", 220 pounds, and he just will carry you into the end zone. It was a short pass play. Paint the picture, Peristyle. We got a receiver that's a sophomore that's a basketball player, a slam-dunking, three-point football-catching, taller than everybody, bigger than everybody. He's tight in size in the slot. That's very hard to cover, even for Alabama talented cover. They don't have no bodies at 6'5". They playing basketball for Alabama if they're 6'5 and about 220. Curtis. Well, uh, 
a lot of guys 6'5 are playing basketball, but uh, this guy plays basketball too, and he's a great athlete. There are 6'5 receivers in the country. USC happens to have one, and you're exactly right as far as in a slot. He's a difficult guy to cover, and he's a difficult guy to cover everywhere because of his size. You just got to put him in a, a position where he's a mismatch in the secondary with those type of routes. And I think he's a great player, and I think he's going to be a great player. There's no mistaking uh, that. I mean, I don't think that's hard to to predict. Uh, just getting everybody on the field uh, as far as all these receivers. Remember, each team can only play 11 guys. So you can have a great recruiting class, and you can have 16 of the greatest receivers in the world, but only four are going to be playing or three at the same time. So you got to find ways to make it happen with those receivers. Because on the offensive side of the football, a lot of it's timing and recognition and team speed and individual receiver speed and so on that you make sure you get it done like the Alabama receivers did this past year and LSU did this past year to make sure that uh, uh, the quarterback and the receivers have a real marriage. So I I like – listen, uh, Curtis, I like London. I really do. I think he's a great player. I think he ought to emphasize football and – not saying that he's not a great basketball player, but he's going to be a football player. And if you're going to be a football player, you need all that time dedicated to football. And I just suggest that. I know they let him go play basketball, but they told him that during the recruiting period of time. But you got to love the game of football. And London's future is in football, so you better as well, might as well figure that out and get out there where you can become a better player. Yeah, I mean, I I think he's going to be a star in the making. And, uh, I mean, I'm really excited about USC's wide receivers. Kurtz, I would just be careful of saying, like, this receiver is 6'5". You can't cover him. Like, no, that's – I mean, it, yes. I mean, he, you have a couple-inch height advantage over someone, and you can jump high. That's great. But then you're talking about, well, okay, so if a perfect pass comes – and it's just out of the reach of the DB, and it's a place that only Drake London can catch it, great. Yeah, that's 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 perfect. But that then that scenario has to happen. That means the offensive line probably has to block against a really good Alabama defensive front, and Keen Slovis has to be able to find Drake London and throw put that perfect ball on there. Now, he's an amazing quarterback. I think there's going to be some great opportunities where there'll be a few plays a game that you make, that Drake London makes, that because it was perfectly executed – the defense wasn't going to be able to stop it um, if they can't get to the quarterback and things like that. But I would just be wary about saying like, oh yeah, he's uncoverable. So you could just throw it to him 50 times and you would never stop him. Like I, it's it just, I know that's not what you're saying, Curtis, but just be a little careful. He's, he's going to be a special talent. And I think uh, the sky's the limit uh, with him, but it doesn't mean because you have this great receiver with Amon Ross St. Brown and some of the other guys, USC has Tyler Vaughn's, that doesn't mean they're going to be unstoppable. We saw Iowa stop them. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's what you have to be worried about. You're right. You got to be, um, you got to be always uh, respectful of your opponent and there's ways of stopping people. The ball has to be perfectly thrown. As you said, you can't drop passes. You got to make great catches, make great plays, all the different things that go along with it. And, uh, they have the ability, but now they got to let it happen. And, uh, We'll see what happens with all of that. I, I think that they've uh, got the potential to be real good. But again, they've got to, and I know Curtis doesn't like to hear me say this, but Curtis, you've got to be well-balanced on the offensive line and really be good in the offensive line when you throw the football because you've got to protect uh, the quarterback. And if you don't protect the quarterback, they're going to get to him. And they're going to hurt him like they hurt to last year. 
So uh, I think you've got to be able to be more balanced running the ball. And I think the key on this coming football season for USC is uh, the main position is the offensive line. Because will the offensive line hold up? Will the offensive line be able to block as far as for the running game? Is the play calling going to allow it? Are there going to be series to, uh, to allow the running game to be respected or not respected? All of this is part of it, and it all comes off of the offensive line. All right. Uh, let's see. We got one last voicemail for you. And this, uh, you mentioned the uh, Vic Otto interview. This one's about that. Hey, Ryan. Great show with our new defensive line coach. At one point, he said he believes that we have one of the best defensive line rooms in the country. Imagine Peristyle fans. Alabama's going to have to go up against one of the best defensive lines, linebackers and defensive backs in the country on a neutral field and one of the best offensive as far as talent people in the country. Beat Bama, Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, Curtis, I'll tell you, uh, uh, Alabama's not scared of the defensive line, okay? They face that type of defensive line all the time. They'll be challenged. And I love that interview, too, uh, of the defensive line coach. I told Ryan before the show, I thought it's great. I think he's going to get it out of him. Uh, we've got to see him perform now. We've got to see where they put him and what type of position that he talked about as far as giving him a chance uh, and so on. So, uh I think it'd be a great show. I think that Alabama will come ready to play. They're not intimidated. USC has something to prove. I think it's uh, two different uh, types of, of philosophies. I think Alabama's got a lot of players to replace and come, but I think they've got a lot of uh, great players on their in their program. And I think uh, USC's got to prove that they're a real football program and be able to play Alabama to a football game. They haven't been able to demonstrate that against Alabama, Ohio State, or those type of teams. So I think this is a big challenge for USC. As it is Alabama. Every game's a big game for Alabama. They're in the, you know, Alabama's the type of team that everybody wants to beat. Everybody wants to beat. That's what USC is too. And uh, Alabama really, you know, they they win twelve games and it's a down year for them last year. So uh, I think that they'll be ready to play. They'll be it'll be a great game. I hope that. It's, uh, a competitive game, but I can't say uh, that uh, they're going to be intimidated by the defensive line of USC's because I haven't seen enough of them to see exactly how well they'll run in the new defense. Will they play? They're all four and five type star players, you know, all of that. But uh, there's a lot to come together yet for the USC defensive football team and the offensive football team. There really is new staff, a lot of question marks. So uh, to start getting too positive and saying, you know, uh, that, uh, I'd rather take it easy and let it come a little bit at a time. Yeah. Uh, Frank at Sacramento also wrote in about that. He said, I love your interview with Vic Soto this week. The NCAA allowing name, image, and likeness income for athletes will be a goldmine for big city schools. Vic said, I see you like Instagram. You could come to USC and get paid to do that. This is huge for recruitment. Being an Instagram influ influencer is not something you can do in Lincoln, Nebraska, Clemson, South Carolina, and other places because nobody lives there, and most of the fans who support those schools are over 50 years old. 
If SC wins this year and makes some noise in the playoff discussion, they will be the talk of college football and LA will have their pick of local recruits, uh, Frank and Sacramento. So that's, uh, I'm actually working on a story right now, coach about that, but being in LA using that, you know, one of the things that Vic Soto talked about is, you know, being an Instagram sort of influencer, being in Los Angeles and being able to get paid for that. So that's, it's far away or, you know, at least a year or so away, but that's something that USC could use to their advantage for recruiting. There's no question. There's no question. And I don't know, uh, you know, with the movie business too, in uh, Southern California, in the old days, uh, uh, the summer job for players used to be in the studio. They used to work in the studio where they made really good money. So with the studios and a lot of graduates from uh, USC and the film industry, hey, there's a, there's a lot of opportunities there too, as far as acting parts and this and that, which you can get paid for. Or maybe getting on quiz shows or whatever those shows are where they, you win money and, and a celebrity can be on those shows and people would love to watch a uh, family feud with, uh, with, uh, with, and those type of shows. Uh, so yeah, the, it, in, in, in Southern California, there's no question. It's an advantage. It, there's no question. And, uh, of course, uh, I think that if you, if you got to find out what the rules and regulations are, and then you got to put a plan together. You got to get some agents for your kids. I would, if you say, if it's legal. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, that's the, that's the agent stuff. There's all kinds of weird aspects with all that. But, um, I think whatever school you're at, whatever program you're at, if you're at Nebraska, yes, you're not in a major media market, but there's still a strong alumni base. Like there might be things that you can tailor towards, uh, it might be local businesses, the local car dealership might be more willing to sponsor you as a Nebraska football player than maybe like some random Los Angeles car dealership that doesn't have any ties to USC. If you're a car dealership anywhere within like a hundred miles of, of Lincoln, Nebraska football is a big part of it. So all of those would probably be available where in LA, maybe there's specific ones that have USC alumni running them like Fletcher Jones or something like that, that already sponsor USC stuff that maybe they, you would get a few out, you know, things there. But in general, being in a major media market, you might be able to do more on yourself, like we said, with the Instagram stuff. So I think it's going to be tailored to whatever program you're at. And there's going to be benefits and maybe challenges uh, for each program, depending on what you want to do. If you had some guy that really wants to be uh, an influencer and is doing like uh, Hollywood type movie making and he's choosing between Nebraska and USC he's probably going to end up at USC. That's going to have a better opportunity there, but there might be other things where he'd rather go to Nebraska. Uh, so it just depends. Um, but I don't know. It's interesting stuff today, coach. No, it is. It really is. If you want to be an ag major or something like that, that that's great. Uh, maybe you can do a commercial for John Deere tractor or, or something like that. I'm just being a smart aleck when I say that, <laughs> but there's, there's just so many more opportunities in Southern California. And, I just don't see the NCAA allowing that to happen. Where Pullman, Washington, a little bit different than Southern California, and the players that go to Pullman, Washington, will not have the same opportunities as the players that go to UCLA, USC, and other schools. I just can't see them allowing that to happen. For some reason, they aren't just that type of group. I mean, uh, they want parity and everything, and that's fine, but, but I don't see how they can allow a team like in Southern California, USC, I mean, the the industry, there's so many opportunities in Southern California. 
you know, Fletcher Jones, Mercedes that you mentioned in Newport Beach, I believe is the largest Mercedes dealership in the United States or the world. As far as there's a difference of selling 1,000 cars uh, a month compared to selling 20 cars a month. Yeah. And what you can do for a student athlete. So, you know, I, I think there's going to be some type of rules and regulations. Uh, I would think. Otherwise, man, look out. Yeah. Uh, well, it's uh, could be a new era in college sports. We'll uh, keep you up to date on what's going on there. But thanks for all the questions, uh, Curtis specifically, but Frank. Um, make sure you send in your questions if you do want some more, uh, you know, some different um, opinions out there. Uh, but we thought, I thought those were fun. There were some really good topics. So I, I appreciate Curtis uh, calling in and uh, sending those in. And, you know, we didn't agree on everything, but we got some some good stuff in there. So, Coach, I, and I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. And I want to thank Curtis, too. Maybe when you post this, you just say, Ryan, Coach Hyde, and Curtis. Yeah. Uh, give him a little credit out there. Curtis, I tell you, you're a football guy, and I love it. And uh, out there in Moreno Valley, I know exactly where that is because I went to the University of Redlands. And Jerry Tarkanian's brother, Myron Tarkanian, was the first head football coach at Moreno Valley High School. Interesting. So I just thought I'd throw that out to you. And he's one of my best friends. So I thought I'd just throw that out. Nice. All right. Well, that is the coach. I'm Ryan. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 